hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Luke 14, 12 to 24, parable of the great banquet. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He goes on, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him this, A man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, Come, for everything now is ready. The workshop is ready. We have all the resources. Free parking across the street. But the all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, Ah, I've married uh, and a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Oh, the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is still room. The master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men, one, two, and three, who were invited shall taste my banquet. Context plus content equals meaning. See, in Palestine, when a person wanted to have a feast, the day was announced long beforehand, and invitations were, were sent out and accepted, kind of like what we do with weddings. Josh and Sarah must have sent out some invitations. Come to Michigan. We're going to have a party. We're going to get married. And then I said, RSVP, I'm coming. Though I didn't know you, I'd say, I come. <laughs> it's going to get weird. The, but the thing is, the hour was not known. So when the day finally came and everything is ready, the cheese boards are laid out, the fattened beast has been killed and roasting on a spit, everything is ready. Servants would go out into the streets to, to the houses that they knocked on and, and had invited people and summon the guests, time to come to party. So you can, you can see why this hurt the master so much. It's not like we just phoned up and said, hey, by the way, there's a, there's a mystery murder night at the church. Can you come? It's starting in a couple hours. Then, oh, well, then you have to play it around with schedule. But this is like if, if Josh had said, we're doing a murder mystery next year. Would you RSVP? Yes. And then the night of, 
you get all the excuses. To accept, to accept an invitation and not show up was, it was a disgrace. It was, it was the, is the height of rudeness. In the parable, the master represents God. The invited guests, you guessed it, they were Jews. And throughout Jewish history, they had looked forward for to the day that Yahweh would show up. And when he finally shows up, Yahweh that is, shows up in their midst, they didn't show themselves. They didn't show up, they didn't even come. The people that are in the back alleyways and the hedges and all the sinners, the tax collectors, all the riffraff, all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, what happens? Come on in. Let's, let's eat. Excuses. I don't know, there's a thing that someone said to me back in the day, excuses, everyone has one. The first excuse that we see here in the text is, well, it's terrible, right? A guy goes and buys some land and he wants to go see it. As if, you know, when someone says to me in the airport, hey man, can you watch my bag? And I, what do I say? Does it do tricks? right? It's like he buys some land. He's like, I, he needs to claim the commerce and the real estate. The real estate is going to trump. I, I need to usurp my walk with God. I, I'm not going to do this because I've got this investment. Bill Hybels wrote a book back in the day. You might remember, too busy not to pray. And it says this, Bill Hybels says this, God is looking for women and men who are full on for him. People who have abandoned their own program and are just looking for how they can use their unique talents and abilities to further God's activities and programs in this world. These are the people God will tap on the shoulder and say, come with me and we're going to do something great in your lifetime. Come, we're going to do this together. Well, the second excuse is just as bad as the first. He says he buys five yoke of oxen, and he claims that he's going to, quote, try them out. I thought about this. I was sitting on the beach in Littleton today. I'm like, how do you try out oxen? If you had five horses, yeah, you could ride them, enjoy them. Five ox. How do you try them out? It's the worst excuse ever on the planet. Dr. Reagan Gurin says this in his article, Want Stuff, Why Are We Driven to Buy More? He breaks it into five distinct categories. When we buy things to make us feel good, first of all, it makes us feel good. Dopamine is released in your brain. Some of your doctors in this room know. And you just get that pleasure, excitement of something new. The chemical release is stress for a short period of time. We call it retail therapy. Coping with stress and depression. Shopping brings entertainment, a distraction. I feel it, it kind of feeds and kind of fills my emptiness, but it also fuels a procrastination. The other thing he says is part of our retail therapy is that we can't help it. Look at how much advertising that we have all the time. My wife was looking for new glasses, and silly me, of course, I'm doing all this you know, going to Specsavers, looking at all these things online for glasses. Now I go onto Facebook. What's all the advertisement on my Facebook? Glasses. 
it, it's figured out some kind of weird ninja-like algorithm that it's like spied on me. And now Apple's actually on your new iOS, they're actually saying, do you want websites to track you? To know if they could give you specific related advertising. They want you to buy new stuff. Abraham Maslow suggests that all humans are driven by key needs. Physiological, safety, love, belonging, esteem, self-actualization. These are major motivators for us to buy stuff. But there's also a thing about buying novelty. Like, there's just something about buying something new. My wife said to me this morning, and she's like, yeah, but you could be waiting and, 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 and you know, saving your money to buy that new thing. I had to say goodbye to my Blundstone boots. I don't know if you remember my brown ones. The heel, the whole heel is coming off. But I didn't rush out and buy a new pair of boots, and nor if I get my new pair of boots, I'm not going to buy another pair in six months. The last pair lasted me 10 years. But we naturally get bored. And buying new gives us a sense of excitement and thrill. The other thing about buying new and buying stuff makes us feel good, but it also makes us feel special and unique. This gives us more attention, though it's probably negative attention. And this becomes a reinforced false identity. So if the Probably the reason why this guy says, I have five oxen and I'm going to try them out. It's because it's the novelty of it. It's the excitement of it. I've got this new thing that I'm going to go and do. And his focus gets, well, it just gets distracted. And there's a sense of thing with him is there's an entitlement like, I get to do this because I can afford it. So just, just give me a second and I'm going to just enjoy my oxen. I'll come back to you, Jesus, or in this case, Yahweh, and more on that in a bit. And last, it's probably a reasonable excuse, because you look at it, Jewish man says, I have a wife, I'm married. Most likely the Jewish man was finding a loophole in the Old Testament Scripture. If you guys look at your screen, look at Deuteronomy 24.5. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. So if you're newly married, you've got a loophole. You could just stay home, don't go to church, don't be involved with connect groups, don't do anything, just be married for one year, you got a loophole. Meaning. See, looking past the obvious Jewish versus Gentile tension who was on who was invited to the banquet, investigating the people that have given all these excuses is really kind of where I want to camp on tonight. The first one ties into, and if you're taking notes, busyness and hurry. Busyness and hurry. Dallas Willard, one of the foremost thinkers for over, well, a few, many decades on how we grow spiritually. He was a great speaker, a great preacher. He says this, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. He says this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Beautiful diction. 
He says, why is perpetually being in a hurry so detrimental? In his book, Soul Keeping, John Ortberg articulates the core reason. He says this, being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied with myself and my life that I am unable to be fully present with God, myself, and with other people. I cannot rest in God with a hurried soul. I love this series that that you guys are on, like how you posture yourself, how you prepare your, your soul. And as followers of Jesus, hurry and being busy can have a huge impact on our focus and our attention when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. See, for me, going back to that church, Christ Community Church, that Dutch Reformed Church, I, I was tasked to pioneer an entirely new youth ministry from scratch. They had uh, one of the values of the Dutch Reformed Church is Christian education. So 99% of my kids were all Christian school kids. So I knew I had my work cut out for me just to get them out to youth because they were already come to church on Sunday and they do Christian school. So I said, you know what? Instead of doing Wednesday nights, I'm going to do it on Sunday nights. Since why? Because I have them. I have them anyways. I have them here. And they started to grow deep like what the gathering is going to do. They grew deeper from just their, I called it their piggyback faith with what they had with mom and dad. And they slid off their mom and dad's faith. And well, they didn't believe in uh, believer's baptism. They believed more in profession of faith. And we started doing profession of faith classes. And, and I just knew that as they were growing, I said, we really want to challenge you guys to go up a whole nother lot. So I said, what if we took a missions trip and they're all like, yeah, let's go to Mexico. Because for most North Americans, that's where you send your kids for a missions trip. Everyone funnels down to Mexico and builds a little shack and, hola, como esta? You know, no. I said, no, I said, that's actually too easy. I think we need to just go and push the envelope. Let's go to San Francisco and work with our street friends. And they were like, oh, dang. San Francisco, that's like, there's a lot of like street friends down there. There's a lot of brokenness and drug addiction, you name it. And I was a youth pastor with my wife at home with two wee babies. And, and here I am, I'm heading to San Francisco on a mission trip. And I was busy and hurried doing God's kingdom work. But my relationship with Jesus was tanking. It was actually almost non-existent. I, had, I was, yeah, too busy not to pray. Funny enough, I was so busy doing ministry and kingdom work, I wasn't praying I wasn't going to the altar just myself in my own personal devotions. All I was doing is the next sermon, the next teaching, the next sermon, the next teaching. Someone asked me, he's like, hey man, so what's God speaking to you? Well, it'd all be shop talk. Well, the youth, the youth, the youth, and this, and and pastoral this, and pastoral that. Sadly, I didn't have an accountability person that was able to wade through all those great things. And say, hey man, can you just be real talk right now? How are you doing? If, if Willard had said to me, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, 
I would have, said, I would have chuckled and be like, oh, man, do you know how much work that goes in? And Josh knows I'm not an administrative person. So this was, this is like splitting the Red Seas for me. So I had a ton of admin to take underage children across the 49th parallel into a foreign country. I don't have time to do my personal devotions. Oh. So even though I had the most righteous excuse, sound familiar, excuse number one. Question for you in your study notes, it says this. Has your busyness, your hurried life, deafened you from hearing the Lord's voice to come to the table? Because folks, God keep on yelling from the, the highways, the byways, and the hedges, John, come to the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do the trip to San Francisco first. Save me a place. Is that how it went? Second thing I got from the second excuse was entitlement. My stuff I own or my stuff owns me. Philippians 3, 18 to 20. Take a look at this. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. And what? Their God is their belly. And their, they glory in their shame. But with minds set on what? Earthly things. Like oxen. Like the iPhone 17. Or whatever. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we focus on the novelty of new things. And even the new things can, in excess, become toxic to our relationship with Jesus. I got to test out some oxen. I got to test out this new bike. I need to test out this new house. I need to do this. I need to go on this trip. I need to do this and this. Save me a spot. And Jesus is sitting going, come on, man. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I got the new Apple watch. Just hold a spot. I'm entitled to this, Jesus. The excuse can be phones, parties, sporting games, holidays. We have an unhealthy sense of entitlement to things because we think we deserve them. And they are our inalienable rights, not freedoms. Here, this is, the, this is the rubber that hits the road. The Jewish people, the chosen nation, that God said, you will always have like my heart. What happens they had this entitlement going, oh, don't worry, Jesus. I know I have a place at the table because we're the chosen generation. We're the chosen nation. You actually have embossed my name in gold on one of those chairs. I'm good. What happens at the story? Nope. He invites every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Gentile to come into that, mat, into that banquet. They know that God will always make a spot for them at the table. It's their table, is it? No. It's open for everyone. Amen? Like all their stuff, they get bored and they got tired of waiting for the Savior. And the master in his anger closed off their access and reopened a new invite to anyone that was eager. I, I tell my staff this all the time. I'll take one eager over three willing any day. You know what I'm talking about. 
Well, that person's like, I'm willing to help you move, you know. Maybe if there's a little beer and pizza, you know, I'm willing. Or you get that guy going, I'm there, man. I'm at your house, 9 a.m. I've already rented a truck. I've got the hand truck. I got that waist belt thing. I'm like, got the headband so I don't sweat and get into my eyes. I'm here to saran wrap all your dishes. That's eager. I'll take one of those guys over five of the willing to lie. I can give you like uh, from 12 to 1.30. Are you nuts? Mm, like, what am I going to do for an hour and a half? By the time you ruck up, park your car, it's already 12.30. And that's what was happening at the second excuse. He's like, look, I got to take a look at these oxen. Jesus, I know I got a name on the table, so hashtag peace, I'm out. Or sorry, hashtag shalom, I'm out. (laughs) See, here's the second question if you're taking notes. She says, what is your biggest distraction that pulls you away from your growing relationship with God? I make an assumption, folks, that you want a growing, deeper relationship with God. But if you're just here to play church, this question doesn't apply to you. It's all good. But if you wanted to grow, then what's the thing that's pulling you away? Like my story of going to San Francisco, the novelty and the uniqueness, the excitement of California. How many youth groups do you know get to go on a mission trip on a train? It's so cool. But that was taking that away from my relationship with Jesus. That was a negative attention. Look at me. Look at this awesome youth group doing a great missions trip. But I wasn't focused on Jesus. I just wanted everyone to know how awesome this was. Number three, and I think this is the one that gets me hard. Church planting pastor Will Anderson unpacks some of the loopholes for sinning. He says this, a mentor once shared that his greatest moments of temptation come on the heels of success. As a gifted pastor and communicator, he recognizes in the aftermath of a great sermon, like mine right now, With the affirmation of his people ringing his ears, like you will later, he sometimes feels entitled to reward himself, what? In sinful ways. My mentor's honesty is instructive for us all. Are we quietly convinced God cares more about your giftedness than character? I'll say that one more time for you to understand. Are you quietly convinced God cares more about your giftedness than character? Do we imagine our indispensability in God's kingdom afford us some kind of special privileges to dabble in rebellion? Our friends and colleagues may applaud our gifts. The world may admire our success, but God's eyes are fixed on and I'll, I'll personalize it, your hearts. So what does he see tonight? We must not let our accomplishments, even if it is something great like getting married, we must not let our accomplishments outpace our character. Our resumes do not excuse our rebellion. By God's grace, may our public obedience accurately reflect our private habits. Amen? That's a ring, sing, and a sting right there. 
Jewish man's excuse that he got married, he has a wife, is an accomplishment, shouldn't excuse his obedience to the master's call to come. It wasn't some guy that has a two-for-one for Hell's Pizza and come on by and we're going to have a bit of a chat. No, it's the master. It's God. And he's saying, come to this party. And he says, yeah, I got a wife. He's like, I don't care if you got a wife. Where do you think your wife came from? Me. Everything you have is from my hand. Here's the question. What area or areas do you create? Now notice, I add the personal pronoun. Do you create loopholes to stay righteously buoyant enough without getting in trouble with Jesus' call in your life. Because that's what we do, folks. We will create loopholes of buoyancy. We're not totally sinning, John, but I know that uh, this is going to definitely make a barrier in my relationship with Jesus. My loophole was that I was doing, I was doing ministry, Right? Here I was on the cutting edge of youth ministry. All my friends in youth ministry were like on edge. They're like, dude, we just go to Mexico every year. You're going to San Francisco, taking a train. You're working with addicts, and you're going to Koreatown, and you're going to Japantown. You're going all over San Francisco. You're going to the, one of the largest food banks in North America. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was doing all this gospel work with kids and street people, and I didn't need to, I didn't need to stop. I didn't need to meet with Jesus we got this, Jesus. I already got the download. I know how it's all going to work out. Let me debrief with you later. And all the time, Jesus is just saying, just meet with me. I'm so, I'm so happy you're doing this mission trip, but you're missing me. And if you ask me, how did it go personally? It was horrible. Crystal and I fought so much on that trip. Like, oh, it was horrible. We, on the phone, how, we were, it was horrible, the things that we were saying to each other. But hey, the ministry's great. But if I would have met with Jesus personally, he would have said, you're not investing in the right things right now. You could have taken this trip next year, but your wife is at home with a B. In a church that really isn't supporting you right now. I asked a guy, I said, hey man, can you check into my wife? Yeah, yeah, I got you, bro. Okay, come back. I went up to him, straight up to his face. Did you, get my, did you, did you take care of my family? You, you got my family, right? And he's like, oh, the ultimate excuse, right? Totally forgot, bro. No wonder my wife and I were fighting so much. She was alone. But I took that onto myself saying, man, I had all those, I had all those excuses to Jesus. And the, and the funny thing is, it was all hidden under the guise I was doing great ministry for the kingdom. What's your challenge tonight? I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. Just... Why don't we stand and just in a prayerful moment, just let's stand for a second and 
What's the challenge? There's three things I wanted to challenge you on. Is Number one, are, is busyness and hurriedness derailing you right now? Is busyness and hurriedness derailing? Is it like, is it just cut into you and you just have lost, you've just lost a focus. You just lost, you just lost tethering to this reality. Number two is like, this sense of entitlement of, of wanting all the new stuff all the time. What's your five oxen that you need to go see that's so important that you're losing you're losing your focus off Jesus and your relationship. And lastly, all the accomplishments that you have, all the, even the great ministry that you're done, all the kingdom stuff you're doing, when's the last time you spent some quality time at the table of your master? Because if, with your eyes closed right now, let me just say something to you. The Father is saying, Come. Come to the table. Come. Eat with me. I've prepared a spot right for you. Slow down, son. Girl, don't worry about the new phone or the new dress or the new shoes. Just come to the table. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.